Hi and welcome back. This is Pat from the long drive home in the dark. I know it's been a while since I've made a new cast, but I didn't want to leave you halfway through, or hopefully less than halfway through a subject. I didn't want to leave you in the dark. If you'll pardon my pun, I do happen to be a dad, so punning comes pretty effortlessly to me, I should say. So welcome back. I'm Pat. And my uh, co-host, my truck, will be providing random noises throughout the trip. This episode, we'll be talking, continuing our conversations of where where the Bible come from, which is effectively talking about the canon of the Bible and where the books came from, and uh, why we have the book, quote-unquote, uh, that you hold in your hands today that you refer to as the Bible, or, you know, the book, <laughs> if you translate Bible. So... Uh, I want to make a statement at the beginning. I'm not doing this for any particular parish or any uh, Catholic organization in particular. And I don't have any sort of approvals. I also am literally driving right now, so I don't have anything in front of me. So there's a chance I can get anything wrong. So if you want to call me out on something, feel free to do that. Just make sure that you're calling me out on objective uh, fact, uh, on doctrinal or dogmatic issues and not the- uh, theological opinion. Uh, and if you want to call me out on theological opinion, you know, feel free to do that too. But uh, don't expect me to respond with anything but an explanation that theological opinion is theological opinion. So, back to the subject at hand. I believe where we left off, we were just getting into the New Testament, the New Testament era. So I was explaining that in Jesus' day, there were uh, many sects of Judaism, many different uh, groups in and around Jerusalem. You could call them political parties. You could call them religious parties, politico-religious parties. I'm not sure if we have a... I'm sure there is a term for it. I'm, I'm sure I don't know it. But the truth of the matter is, when you think about the ancient world, and when you... when you, It's not even the ancient world. When you think about the world outside of Western culture, and especially outside of Western culture even in the last, let's just say 200 years, possibly 300. I don't even think I'd go so back as three. Western culture in the last 200 years or so is a very unique creature. And it doesn't honestly look like it's going to last, but it's a creature in which the political system and the religious system are unentangled in major ways. It's a system in which multiple or a large diversity of religious opinion is allowed, where religious belief is allowed. It's uh, a system in which you can be a Christian, you can be a Muslim, you can be an atheist, you can be whatever you want. And um, the sad, sad truth of it is the majority of religious and political uh, setups are tied intrinsically together in such a way that they don't allow other opinion. Um, you know, it, it, in today's world, if you point to like the Middle East, their political systems over there are intrinsically tied with their religious systems, which is Islam. Which, if you look at Islam, there's lots of laws and regulations in Islam. It's not shocking that it, that that is a societal system lends itself very easily to being a political system. The same thing uh, we find with 
communist atheism uh, and communism and pretty much any communist atheist regime either uh, other religious beliefs and practices are either not allowed or they're tightly, tightly controlled and any divergent from the communist um, atheist method, message is not allowed. So, you know, you, a lot of people say, oh, you know, the the religious persecutions or non-diversity of religion or, or freedom of thought stuff is on the past. And the, the fact of the matter, it's not. Um, most of the world today is under some system of government that actively oppresses the religion that is not in power. And that's an entanglement of religion and politics that we just don't have here in the same kind of way in the West. Um, And it's very modern. So when you think about the ancient world, the political and the religious systems are very tied together in, in pretty much every culture. You know, the whole... There's, I, I think a lot, a lot of people, there's this belief that the divine right of kings was something that sprung out of, you know, Christian Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, which is a stupid way of saying um, the Middle Ages or the time frame between the fall of Rome and the, and the Enlightenment. Um, the fact of the matter, matter is the Dark Ages were very light <laughs> and, and all of the Enlightenment discoveries are based on discoveries made during, during the quote-unquote Dark Ages. So you can either you don't want to look like a fool, you can refer to it as either the Middle Ages or um, a popular, or a, a becoming popular term is, is Christendom. And I, I actually like that one a little bit because it sort of describes it better. It also bounds it better because then, you know, we're not talking about the same, you know, we're not talking about, we're, we're talking both about a, a geological or a geographical area as well as a time frame and not just a time frame. Because you talk about the Middle Ages, well, are you talking about the Middle Ages and in China or the Middle Ages in the Middle East and you know what does that look like or or heck and you know stuff was going on here even in the Americas so it bounds it geographically and from a time perspective in a better framework so that's that's a major aside we're getting back so you know I was talking about the the various Jewish factions and something I was trying to key on when we talked about the Hellenistic Jews the, the Jews who spoke Greek, who didn't speak Hebrew, who, um, you know, spoke Hebrew as a language just for, just in the synagogue. And you'll still run into this um, among uh, several religions who, who will only speak the ancient language in the synagogue. So a lot of times they don't even know what they're saying, but they're, they know it's a prayer and I'm saying these general things, but they wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be able to hold a conversation. Um, and, you know, that happens with kids, too. They pick up music from other countries. Um, I can re- remember some uh, German heavy metal that I listened to when I was a youth. And I knew the words. I could I could sing the song. I had no idea what I was saying a lot of the times. <laughs> uh, but I could sing along to it because I learned the words. So it's the same kind of principle. So you have a large, large portions of the Jewish people who have been dispersed across you know the Middle East and the the Greek world and the Roman world at this point most of them don't speak Hebrew or even Aramaic um, 
they speak Greek. And this, you know, going back, we talked about Hellenization, where the Greeks, once they were in control of an area, unlike the Near East or the Near Eastern regimes before them, who, uh, or before the Persians at least, who had a tendency to relocate peoples. The Persians let people go back home and sort of reestablish their, their identity as part of a, a way to rule um, more benevolently, benevolently. When Alexander took over, and effectively after that point, when the Greeks, uh, you know, because I just say the Greeks after that sort of ruled warring factions in around the, the fragments of Alexander's empire, they didn't move people and they but they also didn't let people live as is right they tried to hellenize them or turn them into greeks effectively and so one of those factors was making everybody speak greek making greek the the standard you know the tax collectors used what all the trading folks used <coughs> and it became the standard used language in the empire and then the remnants of the empire and then when the romans took over it's not like they established latin as the language they they just kind of let people keep going with what their stuff they sort of they were a little more like the sort of like a cross between the persians and the and the greeks they didn't relocate people they let people stay and keep their national identity they just wanted fealty to rome and part of that fealty was of course the the religious fealty which meant that you didn't have to give up your own gods, you just had to add the Roman ones to it. So, but the big outfall from this is that everybody's speaking and writing Greek. And I mentioned before, the New Testaments are written, because of this, they're written in Greek. Now, something you've got to remember about the New Testament documents is there are, there are three kinds Really, there are two from, from the standpoint we're going to go at it, but there are three because the Gospels are special. But the way we're going to look at it, you have books, which would include the Gospels, as well as Acts of the Apostles, and Revelation, or the Apocalypse of John, or Revelation according to John, you know, however you want to parse it. And you have letters. So you have books and you have letters. So something you have to understand about letters in the ancient world is they were not uncommon. Letter writing was, was the thing people did. Um, they, they wrote to each other quite a bit. I mean, we don't write to each other very often in the, in the modern world. That's because we can pick up the phone and call or we can video chat or, or send emails. And so they're spar with each other on social media. It's unhelpful as that usually is, but we can communicate uh, quicker. Well, uh, mail, you know, letter writing was about the quickest you could do it uh, back then, unless you were going to travel yourself, uh, which was always dangerous. So mail or, le or letter writing was done um, pretty frequently. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody was writing their own letters or even reading their own letters because most of the ancient world was da -da -da -da, illiterate. Uh, they couldn't read, they couldn't write. So a lot of what people would do is they would go find somebody who could and they would have them write a letter and 
they'd kind of store up the letters and then somebody would come through and say, you know, the town and they'd be off to the next town and then say, oh, you're going to the next town. Here's my letter to X person in this next town. And that, per, you know, that person who's traveling would become the de facto mailman, <clears throat> maybe for a whole town who everybody was like, oh, you're going to Tarsus. Here's, you know, this whole town's seven or eight letters um, to go with you to give to the people of Tarsus. So, but you'd, you'd go find somebody who could write the letter for you, and most letters are kind of what you think. Hey, you know, hey, XYZ person, we miss you, we're doing fine, I hope you're doing good too. They were usually pretty short, <laughs> you know, because you're, you're paying by the letter, effectively, or by the word. You're paying a scribe, and you're paying for the, the parchment or the paper or the vellum or whatever it is that you're writing on or you're having written on in the ink so it's not none of this is cheap so the most of the messages are pretty short and they're pretty compact and uh so the messenger takes it and then they give it to the person and the person has to find somebody to read it to them sometimes that's the the guy that delivered the message uh and then they they leave it with them so letter writing is is something that happened it wasn't um real crazy like to think oh people were writing each other letters uh what is very interesting about the New Testament letters is how long they are. Because these, you know, we look at books today and it's not hard to go into a bookstore and find a book that's got a thousand pages. Uh, 15,000 pages, okay, that's a little further up there. 2,000 you're getting to the point where you're, you might break, you know, besides Bibles who have very thin pages, you're, you're going to get binding issues <laughs> when you get to a certain point with pages. But you know, finding a large page book, not hard to do. Well, that's because printing is cheap <laughs> and printing presses make, make everything way cheaper. It, not, not so when everything's being copied by hand in the old days. So the, the letters... They weren't very long, but what you find about the Old Testament, or the, so the letters in the New Testament aren't very long by our standards, but they were super long, especially when you talk about like Romans, which is chapters and chapters long. It, 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 Romans would have almost been considered a book because of how long it was, and we know it's not a book and it's a letter just because it has the introduction and the end, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's, that's kind of how. One of the ways you tell that these letters are letters is because they'll have an introduction where, the, you know, the person, Paul, usually mentions the people they're writing to and or mentions a bunch of people and says, you know, say hi to this person and say hi to that person and they explain who they are. And, and then at the end, a lot of times what Paul will do is he'll say something like, hey, I'm writing you, writing this in my own hand. And that was because Paul typically worked with a scribe of some sort and he would he would append at the very end he would write something in his own hand so they would know it was truthfully from him because there could be people imposters writing pretending they were Paul you know shockingly as shocking as it is maybe to some people that there are uh, power issues within churches today it's, it, which you know shouldn't be a shock to anybody there were power issues in the church at the very beginning, back when it wasn't, we weren't even calling it church, we were calling it the way. You know, Jesus gave us the term ecclesia, um, which means church, or we, which we would 
translate to church in the modern era or in English. And uh, but you know the, the Christian way, which would eventually build into being churches. So where was I going with that? I don't remember here. Oh yeah, so letters. So that's why at the bottom of a lot of those letters, you see Paul will write something like, "I'm writing this to you in my own hand." Because he's working with the scribe, like I said. So, does that mean Paul was illiterate? No. It doesn't mean Paul was illiterate. Paul was probably illiterate, as far as we can tell. But even if you were illiterate, it doesn't mean you spent a lot of time reading and writing. And given the length of Paul's letters, it's very likely he wanted somebody whose job it was. He wanted a scribe. He wanted somebody who knew especially as much as he quoted from scripture and as much as he uh, you know was believed his message was important he's going to want to get it right and so he likely dictated the letter worked on the letter and had either one other scribe or a team with him that worked on the letters and that's why You see a lot of scholars say, oh, this letter is so much different than these other letters of Paul, or these letters are different, and we're not sure Paul really wrote them. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But the the honest truth is, it's more likely that it's Paul's scribal circle changed over time as he wrote the letters. And so the, the tone and how the letter moves and what's being talked about in the letter will change uh, depending on who his scribal team is and it depends on you know I, Paul if you look at Paul's story in, in the Acts of the Apostles Paul lives a pretty tumultuous life <laughs> and so his writings undoubtedly would have changed over time as he wrote them so it's you look at Paul's letters and you look at the other letters and there's there's lots of questions about who to attribute to them to. And this will also go into the Gospels. There's only really one Gospel which kind of says, yeah, I, I'm Luke and I wrote this, and that's Luke's Gospel, as well as the Acts of the Apostles. The other, you know, the other Gospels don't have four words or introductions that say, oh yeah, this was written by Matthew or Mark or whatever. And so lots of people like to say, <coughs> oh, this thing really didn't have a name. You know, it was written as a gospel and it was picked up, but nobody assigned a name to it till much, much later. And that's probably not true. <laughs> if you're once once you have more than one gospel, you need names. And so it's very unlikely that they existed any time at all without names. And it's still unlikely that they existed any time without names. It's very, very likely that the you know, when Mark's gospel showed up, people were calling it Mark's gospel. That's just, that's logical. If you can come up with another Occam's razor, uh, passable explanation for why Mark's gospel got called Mark's, then I'll listen to it. But the, the concept that, oh, we don't have a manuscript that has the word Mark's gospel on it, on it before such and such time, so obviously it didn't have a name. No, I'm sorry, that's stupid. (laughs) It's just flat out dumb. Because invariably, once you had more than one gospel, people had to call it something or other. And eventually it got written on the document. In the same way that eventually we broke the documents up into chapters and eventually into verses. 
So that's another thing to note here. When these things were written, like we talked about, the scrolls, so they're all being written on scrolls, right? We don't have necessarily codex at this point. Uh, and because of that, that's one of the limiting factors on length because you can only have so much scroll before the scroll weight gets too too much and it tears. Just like you can only have a book so big before the uh, pages rip uh, the codex spine. These these letters are getting written and the gospels are being written and they're being disseminated. So the letters were probably written just as simple letters. They're, it's very likely given the length and given the importance that Paul and the other writers seem to attach to the letters that they had copies for themselves. And this was fairly common among manuscript writers or large letter writers around that time frame. And by around that time frame, I mean for a large chunk of time, like hundreds of years around that time frame. Because what would happen is you'd, you'd write your letter and if and you send it off. And if you didn't have your own copy, then you'd eventually forget what the heck you wrote. <laughs> and so... A lot of people would have extra copies made, and sometimes they'd have multiple copies made to give to different messengers to make sure that the message arrived, because lo and behold, traveling is dangerous in the ancient world. It's even dangerous sometimes today, especially depending on your location. So that was often the case, and people who had large bodies of work would have their own copies of their own works. And so... You know, the way the letters would get disseminated is, you know, Paul would write a letter, which typically occurred because of an occasion. If you read his letters, it's almost always because some something happened, some X Y Z scenario occurred in the place that he's writing to, and so he's he's writing to address that that occurrence, as well as as other stuff, and. You know, he'll send it off, he'll save it, and the people there, you know, and there's there's travel within the Christian community, just like there's travel within all communities. So other people will uh, come in contact with the letter or what was said in the letter, and they'll say, oh, hey, this will be useful for my church <laughs> because we're going through the same crisis or the same issue or we've got something similar. Uh, or they'll come to Paul and they'll ask to read Paul's stuff and they'll come across and say, hey, this I think I'd like to get my own copy of this. And so they'll copy that. So that's how the letters get disseminated. The process is slightly, probably less natural for the Gospels. And that's because the Gospels are books, as well as uh, the Revelation of John and the uh, Acts of the Apostles. The the books were shockingly published and disseminated similar to how you would do that today. Now, granted, they don't have all the technological advancements that we, we do today, but the kind of process is the same. You'd have your team of writer, you know, the writer and editor and whatnot, and, and they'd write their book, and then you'd write, you'd make several copies of the book to publish, and then you'd send them out. You know, or uh, if you were going to sell it, then you'd you'd offer them up for sale. In the case of the Gospels, they were more or less just sent out to the various churches. And but you do it all at once. You you it wasn't like 
you know, oh, this guy wrote a bunch of stories about Jesus and he sent it on. And then that guy uh, said, oh, this is a, a good bunch of stories. I'm going to copy it and keep it for myself. And in that kind of way, that that's one theory of how it was done. It, it's not really how books were published even back then. The way books were typically published is the the author would write the book down and then they'd have, or the, the author would dictate the book, you know, the work on the editing and work with the team, and then they would write several copies. And by several, we're talking probably, you know, a dozen. We're not talking, you know, today, like several hundred or whatever to send to bookstores, but they'd, you know, a dozen or so, and then they'd send them out to uh, whoever they were going to send them, whether that was, you know, libraries or, or book, you know, bookstores or scroll stores, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. And, and in the case of the Christian uh, books, it would be to uh, churches. And so that's likely how the, the, that's the most probable way the Gospels were written, is that they were published, just kind of like you would today. They were put together, and then several copies were sent out. Um, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the naming and stuff, and and the fact that these things were published just like you'd kind of expect them to be published on uh, on next episode but that's that's sort of where we're at we have these these letters which are more or less being naturally distributed and you have the books the, the gospels the acts of the apostles and eventually the book of revelation which are all written and published and disseminated even as books are more or less today that is a long drive home. I hope you had a good drive home, or have are having a good day, or whatever. However, you listen to this, that you're doing well. And we will end with a prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear God, the Father of heaven and earth, we thank you today for the graces of our day. Thank you for giving me a safe drive, and give all the listeners, uh, your grace and your uh, mental acuity so that they may sift through the spaghetti of uh, random concepts that I presented to them so that it is intelligible. Uh, Dear Lord, in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. May your will be done. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day.